as I'm sure some of the listeners are aware, Nestle uh, have been the supporting partners of our Plastics Week. Um, they've got involved in the uh, the Single Use Plastics Business Roadmap Report, which is on the website now. They, um, they're taking part in the online event, which happened on um, Thursday. Um, and and they've, they've kind of provided us with some really unique case studies and, and viewpoints around where we are in terms of the business community acting on single-use plastics. Um, and as a kind of final piece of, of Nestle's involvement in Plastic Week, they, they've invited me to their Gatwick offices, which is nice. I'm usually having to trek up to London um, for an interview, so it's nice just to be able to uh, uh, take 20 minutes to get to an interview this, this time. So I'm in the Gatwick offices to speak to um, Anna Turrell, the Head of Sustainability for Nestle UK and Ireland. So Anna, thank you so much uh, for inviting me to a quite impressive looking studio much <laughs> compared to the ED ones, that's for sure. Just outside of Gatwick Airport, you get a great view of the runway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for, for inviting me uh, along to your offices today. Um, and obviously thank you all as well for your involvement uh, in the week. This is just a good chance for us to kind of take stock and, and on, on Nestle's involvement in terms of the... I don't use the war on waste, but that's kind of what it's been used by the media. The, the war on single-use plastics and, and the, the need for businesses to phase out single-use plastics and, and kind of transition to a, to a circular economy. So um, I suppose a good place to start would be for, for the few audience listeners that are perhaps unaware, you know, what, what, is, what is Nestle's targets around, around single-use plastics? Um, and, and, you know, what's, what's the year been like in terms of 2019 in terms mm. of trying to meet those? So I think 2019 has been an incredibly busy year for everyone. Um, And the plastics and packaging issue has really come into its own, um, both within industry as industry engages, but also within the public domain and media and and, and discourse. Um, You you really can't uh, avoid the subject. Um, And and that means a lot of work, a lot of focus, a lot of resource uh, going on Uh, behind the scenes in order to make the progress, make the transformation that we need to see um, as a collective society, but also specifically as a a business in the food and beverage space. Um, Just as a a kind of a reminder, Nestle uh, launched its global packaging commitments in April 2018, setting out um, the uh, ambition and the commitment to have 100% of our packaging, uh, including plastics, recyclable and reusable by 2025 underneath which sits a number of kind of sub-commitments, if you like, in order to help get us there. Um, And all framed within the context of a a roadmap that focuses on three core areas. And I I think it's really important just to kind of flag these because it's a great way of of starting to think quite structurally around how do we change the system. So for us, it's about um, developing packaging of the future. So that's new material solutions, innovations, reducing the amount of um, uh, unnecessary uh, plastic that we use, uh, looking at alternative ways of actually getting our products to consumers. Um, the second area is about how do we shape a waste-free future, so that's the infrastructure piece that you've kind of referenced already. How do we play an active role in shaping the, inf- the right infrastructure that works best for the communities in which we are, we're, we're operating? And then the third piece is around how do we help um, drive new behaviour and understanding particularly through our brands. So how do we make sure that the information we're giving to consumers is consistent, it's clear, it's understandable, but it also correlates with actually what the external waste management landscape looks like. And we know here in the UK, it's super confusing. We've got 400 plus local authorities Mm -hmm. all doing different things with different types of of packaging. So we need to make that journey easier for consumers. So that um, was the starting point for us. 
2019, lots of stuff going on. Uh, we inaugurated the Nestle Institute for Packaging Sciences in Lausanne uh, in September of last year. That's really our massive R&D hub. It's our kind of innovation incubator, really testing new material solutions, ideas, um, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And the approach that we've taken is very kind of pragmatic. We're open to all ideas um, because we know that it's not a one size fits all um, job uh, that's, that's gonna kind of create that transformational change we need to see. But also we're very, very mindful about unintended consequences, which is why we haven't in our global commitments actually explicitly called out compostable or, or biodegradable, for example, because we reckon there's a role for those materials potentially, but it, it needs a lot more work mm. and a lot more um, kind of uh, research to understand actually what that can mean, particularly at the point of use and end of life and disposal when the consumer comes into that. So that was another big bit. Um, one of the other uh, kind of big um, uh, things on our agenda last year was starting to move to alternative materials and we had the launch of our Yes um, snacking bar moving uh, globally to uh, paper uh, so 100% kind of paper uh, packaging which means it's uh, recyclable in the waste paper stream which is great we're now looking at how can we scale that across the uh, other brands other other categories uh, and that comes with a huge amount of complexity and challenge right because what we're talking about is not just how we change the the packaging of a product it's actually all the um, uh, the manufacturing processes and the technology um, that we use behind it in order to manufacture uh, those products safely and maintain that quality as well so there's a huge amount of work that goes on behind the scenes in order to to get what maybe feels like uh, innovation out there into the public domain but is it is it quick enough? And that's the struggle I think that big companies like Nestle ha are, are are grappling with. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I remember when when I suppose plastics really became the 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 big issue. Was, you know, it was it was happening before the, that Blue Planet episode yeah. that everyone references. We were, we were seeing a lot of stuff on ED come in, but that kind of that kind of changed the the pace, so to speak. And it became this. There was a real visceral reaction from from consumers and from just the public in general around it. And we saw a lot of businesses straight away be like, "Yes, this is something we definitely need to act on." And um, and I think what I've seen personally is is the conversation mature a little bit, a lot more of that discussion around those unintended consequences, a, a realization that you know we need to progress, but there's no there's no silver bullets, no no perfect solutions out there. Do you, do you think we're in a we're in a a, a state of, of play right now where businesses can have those, I suppose, more mature conversations with, whether it's stakeholders or it's consumers, and be like, look, this, we, we realise, you you know, some people think plastics are bad. We can't make that change overnight because of X, Y, Z, because of infrastructure, because of a lack of um, understanding around alternative materials yet, or do you, is it still very much consumers will keep pushing? I I think it's it's way more complicated so I think we have to break it down to think about who are the stakeholders who are the audiences that we want to engage with and, and have a constructive dialogue but also recognizing that we've got kind of common endpoints what do we need to achieve mm. um, because big picture we've all got a role to play and I know that can sound a little bit trite coming from a big um, uh, packaging um, producer user um, but it's true right because we as a company as as any other company using packaging putting it out into the marketplace we can do a, a, 
as much cool, innovative stuff as we like to make our packaging recyclable, reusable, um, not end up as, as waste or as litter. Um, but if consumers actually don't do something with it, then the system falls down. You cannot ever really create a closed loop unless we all understand our role and we know how to play it. So I think it depends on where you sit in that value chain. Hmm. In that, in that cycle and system as to what that role needs to look like and then therefore what do we need to do so if you I think we're still at a, a, at a stage where there's a huge amount of confusion as well as a huge amount of noise around this issue I am so thrilled to see the amount of public um, conversation and momentum behind this issue which is highly emotive um, and that's brilliant because we need to keep the pressure on all of us including industry but we need to have more informed conversations and we need to be really pragmatic about that how do we create that balance um, in order to, to create that, that system shift and the thing I think about um, quite a lot in, in that respect is from a, from a consumer perspective um, it's really difficult to have those conversations plastic does have a role to play and it's going to continue to have a role to play getting rid of it completely um, probably isn't the solution right now now in the future that might look different but if we look at what the alternatives currently look like that would have to slot into that space that plastic had whether that's glass or it's aluminium or, or something else um, they've got They've got big environmental footprints too. Mm. So then it comes down to kind of, you find yourself thinking about, you know, what does that hierarchy of, of priority look like? Is it about environmental impact? Is it about climate change, carbon emissions? Mm. Or is it about plastic waste in the environment? And I think the, the kind of, the, the, that level of nuance in the conversation and the discourse is incredibly difficult to just put on a sticker on a pack, right? Um, so, so I think conversations with the consumers, we need to do a lot more and we need to work a lot harder at figuring out how can we actually land some of those messages, but, but also have a dialogue. You know, it's not about pushing our positions as industry or, or anyone. It's about how do we have a dialogue constructively to help us collectively figure out what that, that, that right future landscape looks like. I think it's a different conversation when you're talking about um, other industry players, whether that's your peer set, your competitive set, whether it's waste management companies who are, you know, you've got to work hand in hand with, or whether it's with government. And I think that's a, a separate piece in itself. I think going forward into 2020, my expectation and my hope of industry, and very much including Nestle, because I will be pushing this, is that we have a much more uh, visible and vocal uh, kind of role in helping to inform and engage with all of those policy makers with those stakeholders that are going to be absolutely critically important to playing a role in shaping what that future system looks like and we and we saw it in 2019 with the um, government consultations we, we're going to have another round of consultations this year um, we have to really kind of make sure that some of those really pragmatic points land such as the importance of having a harmonized system mm. not creating multiple systems that don't interconnect because you're, you're never going to get that scale and that true transformation that you need so it really does depend on who you're talking to about what but for me it's very much about dialogue and it's about what you can get kind of back through that engagement to help shape and inform your collective thinking and your working going forward. And, and on, on that topic of dialogue uh, that, that helped you kind of inform and, and shape your thinking and how that needs to resonate beyond the business sphere, how, how, did, how did that help you shape 
um, and help Nestle shape its its strategy. You know, you mentioned the twenty twenty five targets. Was you know was that built around this like this consumer concern? I, I mean, I'm guessing it was in the works a fair bit um, before that internally. But you know, um, in terms of how you you eventually got to the point where you're like okay, twenty twenty five hundred percent was like reusable combustible. This is this is the right thing to do. You know, what kind of conversations did you mm. have to have? I think it was. It was, you're right, there was kind of a moment, I think, for everyone, for all of us. Um, the Blue Planet effect, obviously, was a, a great catalyst, particularly amongst the public. Um, but, but equally, as you say, we've been working on this for a long time, um, for years and years, in fact. And our approach historically is about, has been framed around life cycle assessment. So we um, use LCAs for all of our new product development, for all of our packaging, you know, all of, all of that. Um, and we have done for many years. Interestingly, where that took us was to a place where we were, we ended up lightweighting a lot of our packaging in order to kind of help manage that um, environmental impact, not necessarily uh, fully aware of, of the, the kind of impact um, that that has then on the recyclability of packaging. So that kind of... I think we've learned from those unintended consequences. We still use LCA very much. It's a fundamental mm. part of our process. But actually where we got to um, in the conversations we were having in 2017, 2016, up into launching our public commitment in 2018, was very much around, okay, where does the industry need to go? How can we make sure that the commitments, the work that we are going to set ourselves aligns with the expectations of stakeholders, of the public, but also marries up with the rest of industry because what you don't want is different companies different sectors moving at different paces it makes it very difficult to manage so um we are we work closely with the ellen MacArthur foundation we're a core partner of the new plastics economy those conversations were really helpful because they also provided us with that insight across a broader stakeholder group of industry of government um, but similarly, here in the UK, we're a founding signatory of the UK Plastics Pact, work very closely with RAP. So again, those conversations were really helpful. Um, and the conversations we were having with government, um, whether that's here in the UK or Brussels, and I think it's really important to call out the um, uh, single-use plastics directive coming out of, of the European Commission, which has been absolutely instrumental, I think, in actually setting that pace um, and that direction that other governments, that industry and others are now kind of looking at in order to, okay, how do we make sure that we're, we're in the right space um, for, for, for what will be quite systemic, regional-wide um, changes to, to the industry. So a lot, of, a lot of different pieces in play, but they all came together kind of around the same time, which, which is, is great. Definitely. And if you, you touched on, um, since that strategy was launched, some of the successes that you've been able to generate with the yes bars for example are there, are there any other um standout um i suppose changes whether that's simply just reducing you know i mean i think it was uh the the rap progress report they kind of out- outlined those nine problematic plastics mm. that are pretty you know the, they're the kind of the quick wins yeah um so whether it's that or whether it is just um replacing with alternative packaging whether it's moving to a bit more of a service-based model are there any other kind of successes that Nestle have been able to mm. generate so far so I think the um the plastics pact um kind of uh, list is really helpful we also have a negative list internally as do a num- number of other companies which includes all of those problematic and unnecessary um packaging uh plastics packaging materials so we're um and we have timelines against the um removal of all of them um uh, across the portfolio, which we're working very heavily on now. 
Um, part of the solution is about moving to alternative materials, but it's also about innovations in the business model as well. So in reuse models, for example. Um, so Loop um, is one of, of those reuse models, which we've tested and piloted in the US um, with our haagen ice cream business. Um, it's now rolling out in France. Um, and then Loop is also uh, imminently kind of going to be uh, in the UK and in London, which is great. So we're staying very close to that. Um, we're also testing other reuse models um, in some of our sites in Switzerland, looking at bulk distribution, which we're also really keen to explore. Um, uh, and then brand specific beyond yes, Smarties have also got a commitment to be uh, plastic free by the end of this year. So we're moving to fully paper-based as well. Um, and we'll have some, some new uh, SKUs coming out very shortly on that. Um, and then another big one in 2019 was uh, Buxton, our, our Waters um, uh, brand, uh, which announced that it would be 100%, uh, it would use 100% recycled PET um, by uh, the end of 2021. It's already got a number of um, formats in the marketplace that are 100% RPET, um, but to actually push that right across the brand, which is great. Um, so, so those are some examples. What I would say is I think it's really important to consider, and we're very mindful of this, when we make those announcements that they're not just anecdotal little proof points, but mm. they actually have to ladder up into something quite meaningful. So Buxton, for example, we were really conscious of saying, right, this is the commitment we're making. And when the, within the next kind of couple of years, our entire range of Buxton is going to be made of of 100% recycled PET. Now, today, that is is a tough um, thing to do because we don't necessarily have the infrastructure in place and therefore the the supply of uh, recycler in order to make that a reality. But by setting those public commitments and those intentions and also demonstrating the investment we as a business are putting behind it, it also really helps to stimulate that development of the marketplace. So again, looking ahead to 2020, we're going to do a lot more work on that as well, because we are very conscious, and I don't want to use the B word, but Brexit um, mm-hmm. you know, could potentially have quite an impact in terms of, of how the UK market and other markets interact in terms of the supply of materials or the export, whatever that that looks like. And we as a company um, are very committed to developing effective domestic infrastructure. We want a waste management system in the UK that actually is fit for purpose and works um, for everyone. Yeah, no, I know. I know some companies have, have struggled in the past with kind of plant-based PET mm. because of that. That different views of kind of domestic um, waste streams uh, in the past. So that's actually a really, really good point that I, I think hasn't perhaps been brought up too much around this discussion. Um, and then subsequently, then you mentioned that Brexit could be a, a challenge. Are there any other kind of barriers that, that are in place, whether that's kind of technological, um, behaviour based, or is it still kind of infrastructure that's, you know, that there aren't the solutions there yet, but the fact that you set that public target, like you said, it kind of spurs that market demand? Mm. I think there are a number of factors. Obviously, infrastructure is kind of front of mind because it's very visible, but also we all have to engage in it. Um, And the the lack of a a harmonised, consistent waste management system in the UK obviously completely impedes us from creating those those circular economies and that that closed loop. Um, So I think that's a a really big one. And obviously, that is dependent on the right investment, um, but also the right mechanisms in place to manage it. I think part of the challenge um, that we also see is that the existing system, and when we think about the extended producer responsibility, um, uh, EPR, it's um, 
it's been a little opaque in in places so you know we are we are paying into a system and we're feeding into a system that we don't necessarily know what's happening with what and where um and so i think um infrastructure coupled with the need for a mechanism that creates greater transparency and has greater oversight over how that system works is really really important um so that's a another area and then one i i would call out specific to the food and beverage industry is around regulation particularly linked to food contact materials it often doesn't get talked about a lot um publicly and um particularly within civil society if you look at some of the campaigns that have been um initiated and reports that have been made about the role of big business and and our foot our packaging footprints uh, which is very valid um and you know those are important reports uh, it it often fails to recognize that actually there's a huge regulatory divide between um FMCG companies for example who are in personal care products and have a different regulation a set of regulations versus food and beverage companies that are hugely heavily regulated about what materials we can use in in food contact um so that regulation i think is also something that needs to be looked at absolutely together alongside but well, what does that future system state need to look like um and and then links into the point i was just making about um the the availability of of food grade quality recycle it right um at the moment we don't have a system where there is any um segregation or there's a protection for uh recycle it that can be food grade and scaled to match the demands of the the emerging demands of the industry so that's something else that i think is particularly specifically challenging for for our industry and then yeah as you said behaviors it's the softer side of things how how can we all engage each other with consistent messaging and consistent information that enables us to all consistently do the right thing and do what we need to um and i don't have the answer for that right now but that's something that is very top of of my mind and i know for our brands is something that is a really um a weighty consideration yeah i think i think that that applies to the broader sustainability spectrum as well mm. i mean climate change kind of hit the public awareness quite hard uh, last year through the climate strikes and we we've seen a lot of um new business commitments around carbon reductions and i think i think around what I've seen around plastics and in particular offsetting, there's a there's a risk that greenwash can can rise back up um, the agenda. I think it's um you know not to say that offsetting and and in fact you know as you mentioned biobased compostables don't have their part to play, mm. but I think yeah there's need to be a, a kind of clearer message around uh, both of those. And we spent a lot of time looking ahead at you know the the challenges of what what needs to happen. We're we're in January of of a new year 2020, kind of a big decade for sustainability SDGs, ten years away. Um, Paris Agreement kind of net zero emissions uh, that's 20, 30 years away now mm. um, so a bit a big year and you know January is always a time for kind of looking ahead new targets um, and, and just you know outlining your your action areas for the year so it'd be great to hear about um, you know what you want to see happen in 2020 whether that's uh, with, through, through Nestle or whether the business community as a whole around plastics mm. that's a big question um you're right. There's a there's a lot of noise um, in 2020, uh, and a lot of focus on the broader sustainability agenda. I think where we haven't really gotten into a conversation as industry or as a, a collective is around the interplay between plastics and packaging and climate, um, and that's something that I think is 
worthy of at least a, a conversation to explore and understand because I think there is a bigger umbrella <clears throat> and that is around climate um, uh, and, and I think also it could be quite a helpful conversation to have coming back to those unintended consequences to think about you know what are our priorities and, and how do we create that balance within the system um, I think going forward pace is going to be absolutely fundamental um, you know we can all move quicker and, and harder and all of that stuff um, but pace is going to be absolutely fundamental we've only got five years to meet our uh, 2025 commitments uh, and a lot of work to do and pace requires effective collaboration so I think um, this is my personal view that up until now on the plastics topic um, we've all kind of come at it quite individually you know what does it mean for us uh, what do we need to do in response um, and that's okay, but you know, you get to a point where the maturity of the conversation is such that actually we need to kind of put the, uh, the what's in it for me aside and say, mm. okay, how can we genuinely, truly collaborate um, at, in order to, to kind of achieve um, the, the transformation at scale that we need? Um, in terms of Nestle specifically, we're going to be uh, continuing to uh, uh, release um, uh, new. Um, packaging innovations uh, in line with our commitments and, and everything I've outlined earlier. Um, we have also just um, announced, uh, kind of hot off the press yesterday, that we will be investing two billion Swiss francs um, to lead the shift from virgin plastic use to uh, food grade recycled plastics. Um, and the purpose of that announcement is really to also stimulate a wider uh, a kind of industry and system um, engagement and, and pick up and as I said before this food grade quality recycle it is is a real issue that we need to tackle um, if we're going to keep being able to deliver the products um, to consumers that they they love and enjoy um, as part of that we've also just committed to reduce the amount of virgin plastics that we use by one third by 2025 um, uh, which is is really significant obviously we are a multi-category uh, business uh, which means we are in a number of different um, spaces using packaging that's quite tricky uh, to to use recycled content for. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, and as part of that ambition, um, we're also launching a sustainability fund. So a 250 million Swiss franc sustainability fund where we want to invest in initiatives, um, organizations, entities that are really focused on um, how we can tackle uh, the the issue around waste within the environment. Um, so whether that's collection, it's reprocessing, it's sorting, whatever that may look like in you know the countries um, around the world where we operate, recognizing that solutions look very different in very you know in different countries um, and different regions. So a lot of work going on, um, a great opportunity ahead. Um, and hopefully these announcements will, will serve to also galvanize broader industry um, momentum because we really want others to join us um, on this journey as well. Well, what a great start to the year that sounds like it's, uh, it's going to be. And um, yeah, definitely agree with the, the coupling of the, the plastics and, and climate uh, debate. I think we will start seeing more of that. In fact, we interviewed Sean Sutherland from a Plastics Planet uh, the other day. Um, there's a piece up on our website, and and she, you know, she says that exact same thing. That's where that's where this conversation needs to go. So there's a bit of uh, unified thinking amongst uh, the sustainability experts, which are great. Um, 